we've been talking about the seven areas of our lives that we can find transformation in because of God. So we've looked at our spiritual health, our physical health, mental health, emotional health. And, you know, this week we had Valentine's Day, which means it's fitting that this Sunday would focus on relational health. When Roger, you know, first told me, oh, Faith, your topic's going to be relational health. Um, I kind of reminded him that I am single. You know, I don't know if I should be talking about relationships. But, no, honestly, I do know that I have a lot to say on relationships. And it's much more than just, you know, romantic relationships that we're talking about. We're talking about all of your relationships. It's your friendships. It's your relationship with your coworkers. It's your siblings. It's your parent-kid relationships. God wants to transform your relationships. So more specifically, we're going to look at how we can understand the fears that ruin relationships. And to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the very first couple, Adam and Eve. Because that's really where all of our problems started. Really, I mean, we can thank them for a lot of our problems. And in Genesis, you know, God created the world. He created the universe to be a place for people to be able to have a sustainable living environment. And he created people because he wanted a family. And he wants each and every one of you to be a part of his family. He made Adam and he put him in the Garden of Eden, as we know. A perfect paradise. And Adam, you know, he had everything except he was lonely. You know, I think that God did this for a few reasons. You know, first it was like to get Adam to see that, you know, you need something more in your life. You need community. But I also think that Adam was like sort of this rough draft for humanity because God definitely perfected his creation when he made ladies. <laughs> we can clap for that. So God, you know, he makes Adam out of the dirt and he makes Eve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that is kind of funny. He said, oh, this will do, I guess. But anyhow, then he made woman from Adam's side, from his rib. And, you know, this really, like, shocked me when I was learning about this in college. And I was like, wow, God is so amazing. Now, he didn't make Eve from the top of his head for Eve to dominate him. And he didn't make Eve from the bottom of Adam's feet, which he could have for Adam to dominate her. But he made her from his side to be his equal, to be his partner in life, to be from close to his heart, because this is God's desire for relationship. Things, they were going well for Adam and Eve for a while. There was no sin, sickness, sadness, sorrow, suffering, deceit, lying, manipulation. There was none of that. Adam and Eve had the first and only perfect relationship in the garden. But we know in our story, Satan comes to Eve and he lies to her. He asks, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which God did not say. He said, don't eat from 
one tree. He gave them plenty of other options. God gave them choice, and he gave them choice for a reason, because God wanted people to choose him, to choose to love him. Then we know Satan says that God was lying to them, that they wouldn't die if they ate from this one tree. Instead, you will be like God, he says. You would know good and evil. And every temptation that we face, it comes down to this basic issue. You know, Satan convinces us that we should, you know, do things against God's will because you know better than God. Because God just doesn't understand. You should do fill in the blank, whatever you want to do, because you know what will make you happy more than what God knows. You are God. That's what we all believe. And Eve fell for that too. Let me read you from the story. It's in Genesis 3. And we'll pick up out of about verse 6. So if you have the YouVersion app, you can join me on there. It says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. You know, this is where shame enters our story. There had never been any shame, never any guilt, never ever any fear prior to this moment. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord and God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Notice there's fear here again. Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, you know, he blames her. He has no shame. He's like, the woman you put here. She told me to eat it. He says, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. You know, then after that, God shares the consequences of their choices. You know, God wanted them to be protected, to be safe. That's why he gave them these boundaries But there's going to be consequences from the sin that happened. This is what he said to the woman. I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. In other words, there's going to be conflict in your relationship. There's going to be sinful domination issues. There are going to be distractions. There are going to be power struggles in relationships. And to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. In other words, there's going to be hard work. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be pain in the world. And there is now death. 
you know, what we're going to look at today, we're, you're going to be able to use in your marriage with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, your friend. You're going to use it at work. You're going to use it with your family. Because it all applies. Because there is so much going on in this relationship that we can take out from it. So we're going to look at the fears that ruin relationships. And we see them in this story. And the first one is this. The fear of exposure makes me distant. Have you ever thought, you know, I like to get closer with that person but you just wonder, why can't I, like, seem to, like, make this relationship work? Why do I self-sabotage myself? You might relate to this fear then. And I think we all can in a way because the fear of, dis- of exposure makes us distant. And here's the truth. There is a lot in you that you might not like about yourself. And that's huge. Because if we don't like it about ourselves, we are not going to invite other people to say, hey, come and see it for yourself. The things that you might not accept about yourself, the circumstances make you fear other people getting close. You fear that others won't accept you. You know, every year they make a new phone that we have, and the thing that always gets better in that phone is the camera. You know, everything gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And, you know, maybe we'd rather stick with the old generations and have the fuzzy cameras. Because, you know, when you open up that phone for a selfie, you see all the blemishes up close. You see, you know, where the imperfections are. And it's similar to our relationships. When people get close to us, they can see every part of us. So, you know, we keep the camera as far back as we possibly can so that they can't see what we see in ourselves because we fear being exposed, that they might see the things we don't like about ourselves. In verse 9 and 10 in Genesis 3, it says, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You know, God knew where Adam was. He's God. But he asked him for a specific reason. Because he wanted Adam to own what he had done. We have to own what we have done. We have got to be honest if we want to see transformation in our relationships. As long as we just say, oh, everything's fine, you know, as long as we live in denial of what's really going on, there will never be recovery or transformation. It starts with us owning it. And, you know, Adam says, you know, I was afraid, so I hid. Fear always causes us to hide. I wonder what you're hiding from today. What fear is making you hide? What are you pretending not to know? What are you pretending is not a problem in your marriage? What are you ignoring in your friendships? What are you afraid to face? Because God doesn't want you to live this way anymore. He wants you to find freedom. He wants you to face it and join in a community that can surround you with love. You know, Adam, he was probably 
the reason why we have the show Naked and Afraid. Because he was both naked and afraid at the same time. Okay, he would have been the per first perfect candidate for that show. But, you know, it was more than just like his physical nakedness. It was vulnerability. It was uncovering the truth where there was nothing left to hide. Our fear of exposure makes us distant. Here's the second one. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. When we fear disapproval, we start to point the finger at everyone else but ourselves. We accuse others. We blame them instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror. And this is what is said in Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman put, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. You know, he blame, not only blames his wife, he blames God. He's like, you did this, God. That's why I did it. And us women, we can laugh. We're like, ha-ha, the guys, of course they blamed the wife. We didn't do it. But Eve was no better. She says, the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Defensiveness is common. We learn it from our parents. We learn it from our friends. Any hint of not being approved of, we're like, okay, this is not me. It's you. And think about, you know, the last time you felt like you had to be defensive against somebody. It didn't feel good to have to put your defenses up. This is the last fear. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. Let me say this another way. The more out of control you, fear, you feel, the more controlling you become. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost control. They lost everything. And God told them that the consequences of this sin would lead to fear that would lead to dominance and being demanding. Genesis 3.16 says this, Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This was not God's design by any means. This was the result of sin. And the result of sin is always more sin. And when we look at our sin, we have to look behind it. We need to look under it because there's a root to our behaviors always. We don't want to claim, oh, this is just who I am. I'm just this way. You know, I can be this way because this is just who I am. We don't accept that part of us. We have to say that there's fear under it that's making us act this way. And we need to address those fears. And that's what we're going to do today. Have you guys ever thought, you know, of an iceberg? You know, you see it in the water. It's what took out that Titanic. And you see, you know, the, you can see the tip of the iceberg, but that's only the tip of the iceberg because there's more. There's more going on underneath the surface. You know, you see the hiding. You see the being distant. You see the defensiveness, the demandingness, but really underneath the water is what's really doing the damage. It's the fear. It's the fear of exposure, the fear of disapproval, and the fear of losing control. But as I said, God has so much more for us. He has the antidote to our fears, and this is what the antidote to our fears is. It's love. 1 John 4.18 says this, Where God's love is, there is no fear. 
If we want to get rid of this fear in our relationships, we have got to get God's love there. We need to get God's love in our families. If we want to get rid of fear in our careers, we need to get God's love in our careers. If we want to get God's fear, God's fear is not what we want. If we want to get rid of fear in our parenting, we need to get God's love in our parenting. Wherever we are, whatever fears we're dealing with in any area of our life, we need to get God's love there. Why? Why should we do this? Well, let's continue with this verse. It says this, because God's perfect love drives out fear. Let's think about opposites here. What's the opposite of fear? You might think it's faith, but really what it's saying here, the opposite is fear, is love. Because perfect love drives out fear. When God's love is there, fear has no way of stopping us from having good, healthy relationships. You know, when you see a house on fire, you're like, oh, there's a house on fire. What's going to happen here? You can't stop a parent from going in there because love conquers that fear. So we need to learn to live in God's love. That's what we're going to focus on for our last few moments today. Learn to live in God's love. You know, why are we fearful in the first place? We need to find that answer out. Here's the answer. Continuing this verse, it says, It is punishment that makes a person fear. We are afraid of all the negative consequences. And sometimes that paralyzes us in our relationships because we don't know what's going to happen. We lose out on so many opportunities of strengthening and transforming our relationships because of fear. But we need to get God's love there because God's love is the answer. So I'm going to give you guys three daily choices that you can make to get God's love in your life. Every day you're going to surrender. Every day you're going to remember. And every day you're going to offer. So how do we learn to live in God's love? Here's the first one. Every day I surrender my heart to God. So, you know, when you wake up, you say to God, God, I surrender this day to you. God, I surrender my emotions to you. I want you to fill me with your love, God. I want you to be here. Fill me up with your love. Because the closer we get to God, the more of our hearts will fill with his love. If you want to get rid of your fears, you've got to get closer to God because perfect love casts out fear. Job 11, 13 through 15 says this when we surrender our hearts to God. It says, surrender your hearts to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed and you will be confident and fearless. Job even tells us how to do it. He says to be in prayer, confess your sins. Then you won't be ashamed and you will be confident and fearless. This is how Job continues. He tells us more benefits. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge, and your darkest night will be brighter than noon, and you will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. Wow, we need to prioritize prayer. Now, the second thing is this. Every day I remember. We have to remind ourselves that God loves us. 
Because if we want to transform our relationships, we need to know how God loves us, how he thinks of us. You know, most people are reminded, oh, how, of how loved they are on Valentine's Day because of these things we give them called cards, okay? We think they're like pointless, but actually they say a lot because it's written down what is thought of people. This is who you are to me. And we all have this thing, the same thing as Valentine's Day we get from the people we love. We have what God thinks of us written down in this book right here. If you want to know what God thinks of you, get into your Bible. This is where you're going to learn about it. So I'm going to tell, tell you guys three things that God thinks about you guys. That you are unconditionally loved. Isaiah 54.10 says, The mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. God's love is consistent. It's predictable. There's no conditions of it. You cannot change God's love. The second is this, I'm totally forgiven. Romans 8, 1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because what Jesus did for you on the cross, he knew everything that you would do, and he wiped out all of your sins. Remember, I am totally forgiven. And the last one that I have for you today is this. I'm considered extremely valuable. Now, there are two things that create value. Who owns it? And the second is, you know, what is someone willing to pay for it? Now, I have my gum that I chewed this morning right here. How much would somebody pay for my chewed gum? You want me to pay to throw it out? Just kidding. Well, Britney Spears' chewing gum sold once for $14,000. What? $14,000 for a piece of chewing gum. You know, the owner creates value to common things. And who do you guys belong to? Exactly. You belong to Jesus. He bought you at a price. We read that here in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made you his own. You are considered extremely valuable. And here's the last thing we're going to do after we remember whose we are and who we are. It's this. Every day you're going to offer. Every day you need to be practicing showing the same love that God gave you to others. This is what is said in John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other. God calls us to go out and serve and show the same exact love that he shows us because God knows best. We know he knows best. And when we do that, we receive more knowledge of what that love is for us. When we offer this love to others. Offer God's love in your relationships. Forgive each other. Love unconditionally like he does. This is what will transform your relationships. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a moment to pray. And I'm going to welcome Steve up because we're going to pray. And I want you guys, we're going to do some silent prayer for just a second. Because I want you to think about what fears are impacting your relationships.
What is getting in the way of making those relationships to where you want them to be? To where God would have them to be? So everyone close your eyes and we're going to ask God, God, where in our relationships do we see the fear of being exposed? Where am I being distant in my own relationships? God, where am I afraid to be disapproved of? Where do I see myself getting defensive in those relationships? And God, please point out to us, where are we afraid of losing control? God, where do I see myself being demanding? So we're going to be silent. God, I pray that you would just bring those relationships to mind and those fears. Spirit, um, I just ask you to come and fall on each and every heart here. God, fill them with your love. Let your love meet their fears. May your love drive out fear from their relationships, Lord. God, I pray that they would just see how they are pursuing you to see transformation in their relationships. God, we pray over their marriages. God, we pray that there would be no more distance. Bring them together, Lord. God, we pray for the friendships that we have in this room. God, may your love fill their friendships. And for the parents and the children in this room, God, may your love meet their relationship and transform it. Fill them with your love today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.